So I think today I want to talk about a few variables of high-performing teams. And I think tactically, you know, how they show up within an organization, a department, and how we can move towards creating our own high-performing teams. So I think the first variable that I want to talk about today would probably be, you know, asking, you know, setting up, setting up like, um, setting up really thoughtful one-on-ones and check-ins to see if each and every team member of your quote-unquote hopeful high-performing team or soon-to-be high-performing team or current high-performing team, um, if they feel the meetings are productive, right? And by productive, you have to, in my opinion, have a rubric or a definition of what productive means. Now, I think knowing that this is an E1B2 methodology in world, there are two versions of that. There's a version of productivity of a meeting. I think there's three versions. There's a version of productivity um, of meeting productivity for the org. There's a version that I think every leader of a department has, and that that definitely bleeds out into the structure and the format and the outcomes of the meetings that the department has. And then there is a perspective on meeting productivity that each individual contributor and employee of that team has. I believe it is incredibly important to make sure that you understand and know how each individual and contributor and employee feels and will deem a productive meeting. I think if you know what that is, I think you can ask questions that are directly correlated to their contextual POV of a productive meeting and you'll get more authentic feedback and answers because they'll feel closer to it. I think if you then have that data also at scale across a seven or eight person team, you'll be able to kind of see the trends and see the similarities and use that data to best support and design how you're going to adjust the meetings moving forward. Um, I think another question you want to ask is, you know, related to the, the meeting productivity, are there any, you know, decisions that are made quickly or not so quickly that they wish were more quick or not so quick. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of high-performing teams, again, have individual as well as collective perspectives on how decisions are made fast or slow. And I think some folks feel that certain decisions are made to be fast and efficient and quick. And I think other leaders have a perspective on decisions that are needed to be made a little bit slower and a little bit more thoroughly. Um, and I think whoever you are and however you think about it, I think that, again, information needs to be understood. And then moving beyond that, you have to make sure that that information and that perspective around that information is baked in to how those decisions are made. When, you know, issues related to the decision making comes up, you know, what's what are the you know, is, is it bucking against and rubbing up against which you've already identified at an individual level as well as at a team level. And so as I pause going through some of the high-performing checklists, if you will, if you notice in just the first two, you have to understand at an individual level what folks need, the decision that's been made based off of what I'm hoping that data at a team level, and then what's happening at an organizational level. Knowing that data and then when you're jumping in to secure and make sure that you have a high-performing team or as you try to rebuild a high-performing team, looking at the, the context, the nuance, the data that comes out of one-on-one meetings and holding that data up against what was originally put in place at the individual team 
and department level, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen and a lot of a lot of um, a lot a lot more of a head start, if you will, to solving a problem, to scoring and identifying a high performing team and really, frankly, just to make some changes. I think another one is making sure and understanding from each individual team level and leader how much psychological safety is baked within. I think at an individual level, psychological safety shows up very differently than for my wife than myself. Like if we were on the same team inside of a department, what may make her feel a lack of psychological safety may make me not feel anything at all. And so that information needs to be understood and known. Then at a team level, we have to just have a blanket understanding and agreement around psychological safety. And then at a department and just overall organizational level, we have to understand how psychological safety shows up, you know. And so I think as it pertains to a team, though, if there's a breach of that psychological safety, that just pretty much means, you know, folks are significantly uncomfortable voicing their opinions and bringing their true selves to work and with those team members each day. And that can cause a drop off in productivity. That can cause a drop off in execution as it pertains to workflows. That can cause an overall drop off as it pertains to potential retention, engagement as that team, of, of, of that team member being engaged with their fellow team members and leaders. Um, that can cause a drop off of accountability, dependability, structure, clarity, communication. You know, um, I think another variable is figuring out what systems each person wants, what systems the team wants and the leader of that team wants, what systems that the organization has as it pertains to accountability, as it pertains to keeping everyone in line to be able to work at a high level. And then I think the last thing is motivation, you know, meaning and impact, you know, how inspired our team members to come to, the, to come to work, work with team members, you know, how, how accomplished consistently are they with the goals that the team has laid out. Again, it is incredibly important that you understand the individual variables, the team-wide variables, and the department-wide variables. It's not one or the other. And I think many high-performing teams put, put folks in a situation where they're banking solely on they're banking solely on motivation alignment or they're banking solely on accountability alignment or they're banking social, you know, solely on trust alignment. And I think there needs to be a combination of all of them. You cannot have a high performing team without significant psychological, tr- psychological trust, a plan of how to get back to establishing psychological trust, understanding what psychological trust and safety looks like at the individual level, having people able to voice their opinions, push back against things adjust and pivot quickly to make decisions, be able to do a believe, trust and believe system, even if you don't necessarily agree with the decision that's made, be able to have the accountability and dependability and and structure and clarity and team systems and processes that can support psychological safety, can support decision-making, that can support working at a high level. And then everyone needs to be motivated to go through all of this shit I just said, right? Because everything I just said is exhausting. Everything that I just said takes effort. Everything that I just said takes pausing and adjustments and movement and, and shifting and systems and accountability and trust and honor. And all of those things is a, is a, is a version of, of exhausting energy because all of those things involve empathy. All of those things involve understanding and learning from others. All of those things involve deliberation and conversation. 
doing what you personally selfishly want to do is the easiest thing in the world. This is the most energy preserving thing in the world to do. And I just don't think those are the bases of a high performing team. And so um, I've said enough. These are my perspectives on a high performing team. And I think if you really listen closely and unpack this episode, you'll find a lot there. Thanks a lot.